Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight, we're going to take you on a special trip back to old Camelot to discuss King Arthur II, the role-playing war game. Uh, to help me do that tonight, we have my friend, Gamers with Jobs, Charlie Hall. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rob. How you doing? Uh, not bad. I am, oh god, you know, I'm probably irresponsibly wasted. To be entirely honest, uh, that's always a good way to host. Well, I appreciate that, up, and my hosts wrapped up a couple stressful weeks, and uh, you know the best way of handling stressful weeks, in my experience, is to order a lot of uh, delivery food and get fat, <laughs> and then you go on a diet, and then you say, "Damn, I've been dieting all day. I'm gonna have two martinis," and then you're just destroyed. <laughs> so, uh, word of word of warning to everyone. That's a, that's a little hazard to uh, getting healthy is being inappropriately drunk during podcasts. We're also joined by freelance writer Andrew Gruen. Andrew, welcome to the show. I'm well, glad to be here, Rob. I've spent the last week working on a review of uh, King Arthur II, the role-playing war game. You know, it's it's very similar to Total War. It's not it's not quite a Total War clone, but it's definitely sort of inspired by Total War. Uh, it's a Total War style game from uh, NeoCore, published by Paradox. And you know, I'll lay my cards here on the table. When I was thinking of the show, I was you know I was more interested in this as an example of seriously flawed or failed game design. But what what caught my eye on mm. Twitter is that both of you seem to be really digging the game, and actually a lot of my friends are having the same experience. Uh, so I wanted to start with uh, you, Andrew, because you know you you seem the most effusive on Twitter, at least. Uh, you know you were arguing that more people should be talking about this game, paying attention to what's going on here. Uh, so I'm curious, what, what are your impressions of King Arthur 2? Uh, can you explain a little bit for us? And uh, why has it got your attention? Sure. I mean, really why it has my attention is because I, it's not that I necessarily think it's a really well-executed game. It's that I think it's a really interesting game. And, you know, maybe it's not so interesting because it's a sequel to King Arthur 1, and that's basically a lot of the same ideas. But there's really not a lot else out there that's like this. When you talk about Total War or something like that, you can get other games that are really hardcore strategy games that are like this, but when you get into something like that focuses on an RPG like this, there's really not that much else out there. And so even though, I mean, I actually really disliked a lot of the strategy parts of it, I really started thinking of it in terms of it being a lot more, you know, like a Western RPG with random battles, basically, where the battle system is this strategy component. I really wasn't trying to dig into the strategy part of it as much as I was trying to sit back and relax and enjoy, you know, where the narrator took me in the in their narrated quests and trying to just sort of get into the experience and let myself be in, you know, embrace that that fantasy world, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh Charlie, does that sort of mesh with your experiences? It's it's funny because I think mine is is similar but a little different. I've really been enjoying the preposterousness of the <laughs> tactical gameplay. Um I was playing the prologue and they give you heavy legionnaires or legionaries and they say okay your legionaries they can form up in this long wall which is not impenetrable or they can form a wedge and this wedge will drive deep into your enemy's flanks and cause untold destruction and god help me if I couldn't think of how a wedge would be at all practical on the battlefield. Like you've got one guy at the front, two guys behind him, three guys behind him, five guys behind him. <laughs> what you've got is a self-imposed meat grinder as the entire weight of your comrades piles on top of you. But gosh darn, if that just 
that formation just didn't plow through my enemies. So I, I threw away everything that I had ever thought about how to fight with a Roman Legion, and I just let the game kind of take me, and it was fun. Okay, just just comment about the wedge thing. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure the wedge formation is actually I'm pretty sure the Roman cavalry at least uh, used the wedge formation for their charges. I do think it fell out of fashion, probably for good reasons, because I've never really understood how wedge assault formations worked. Oh, for that exact reason, right? Like, the first guy's going to die, and then you got two mm-hmm. more, and they're going to die. And the big thing about a charge is what? It's like a, a wall of flesh and steel that's hitting you. Mm. Uh, but but nonetheless, um, yeah, yeah. so my, my first impression of the game was definitely... Okay, I kind of I, I kind of went, went into this expecting uh, not very much. Like, I, I didn't really see... I looked at it, I saw kind of a total war clone with a less developed strategy side and a story, and I kind of figured, how good can this possibly be? Um, <laughs> in part because my experiences with uh, the Real Warfare series kind of soured me on uh, total war clones. If you've played Real Warfare, um, they're just these these awful, awful Russian uh, battle-only rip-offs of the total war games They're just that are just unbearable. But yeah, so my first impressions were this was this game was way better than it had any right to be, uh, for the for similar reasons. Like I love the fantastical unit selection. Um, I, I enjoyed the setting, and I really kind of found myself surprisingly won over by the choose your own adventure uh, RPG elements. And that right. was something that the first time I saw it, I was like, "Well, this is just a choose your own adventure." But I realized I'm actually kind of nostalgic for choose your own adventure uh books <laughs> and so this game was like really sort of speaking to sort of a suppressed uh pleasure from my childhood of you know okay i'm, I'm reading the story about this character going through this stuff except i get to make the big choices at the juncture points right and that's really what won it over for me in a lot of ways is that those those choose your own adventure parts are actually really impactful in a lot of ways and they really do deal with a lot of your your intricate alliances with your neighbors and things like that. And they really force you to make choices between who these people are that you want to make alliances with and what these big choices are that you really want to make. You know, so we should, we should talk about, we should sort of, as we talk about this game, we should sort of split it into two elements because there's really two games going on here that I would argue are almost unrelated. And you can maybe even argue three games, but let's, let's split it between the tactical and the strategic. Um, So on the strategic level, you're, you're looking at a map of uh, Arthurian England, and King Arthur II takes place after everything's gotten all screwed up, uh, and King Arthur is, you know, basically practically wearing a toe tag at this point. <laughs> uh, all the knights Pretty of the round yeah. disappeared, and you're supposed to go out there and piece everything back together. You're his son, William uh, William Pendragon. So where, where, where I first run, where, where I first have major objections with this game is, you know, I'm I'm 20 hours in. And I cannot really figure out the real purpose of the strategic map. Like, to me, it seems like this is... It borders on being entirely extraneous. Like, there are times when your position on the map matters. But by and large, like, it's just a chain of missions. And just kind of, like, you know, dragging your army from one mission spot to the other. And that kind of bugs me. I agree entirely. I was waiting for something interesting to happen with winter. I was waiting for my... My armies to be stranded and without food and lost in the wilderness, but they're just, they're leveling up, they're training, they're getting better in the winter. It didn't make a lot of sense. (laughs) But what what you do get out of that, uh, that map are these fantastical battlescapes. The, the, the 
tactical maps that result from where you choose to fight on the strategic map are really amazing. Oh my god. Have either of you been up near Hadrian's Wall yet? Yes. Holy shit. Like that 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 is some seriously like horrifying gothic nightmare battle stuff up there. And I mean, yeah, that's really cool. Like this is um you know, the early, early Total War games had this like crazy interesting topography where it was like cliffs and dense forests and mountains in the middle of the map. And they've all kind of gotten away from that. Like they're much more on like rolling terrain now. But this game is just like every battle every battlefield is just like the most dramatic place on earth. I fought one battle with a like a 400-foot cliff over the right two-thirds of the map, on the, and the left third was this ramp that led down, and we were battling up the ramp and casting spells over the cliff. It was just it was ridiculous with this skybox behind it. it. No one in their right mind would have fought a battle there, and yet we were. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely come to it sometimes with... Um... You know, I look at it like the way I would in a Total War game, where I'm like, there's no way, th- this this can't work at all. And what I always find myself forgetting about, well, there's two things I forget about. One is that this isn't as nuanced as Total War. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute, because uh, I actually have real trouble in figuring out exactly how the various modifiers for, like, I'm trying to figure out, like, even how much a role terrain actually plays in a battle uh, compared to a Total War game. But but the other thing is I, I often do find myself forgetting like you know the train might look impossible, but magic doesn't care if a guy's on a hill. You're darn right. Every strike that lands is the walls of Helm's Deep exploding. Bodies are going <laughs> everywhere. It's it's every spell is is very important, and you're you're kind of on pins and needles for when you can unleash the next one. That actually turned into one of my one of my beefs with the game, though, because it really kind of renders a lot of your army kind of useless in certain ways. Because, you know, it doesn't really matter too much if you have this really hardy core of legionnaires leading your charge if you're if their front lines can be broken immediately by a lightning spell. Yeah, I and the other thing I kind of run into with the magic is that it just seems kind of underdeveloped, like. Uh, when when it hits, it's it's pretty awesome. Like I mean, fireball spell I think has to be my favorite. Uh, it's just it's just the coolest damn thing. You, you, if a fireball strikes home, it pretty much vaporizes an entire enemy regiment like on the spot, right? Uh, which <laughs> it was really cool. Like this is what magic in a war game should feel like, and I do feel like this is kind of like I would love to see a total war game, a proper total war game, take a fantasy setting. And use some of these elements, but here's my problem with the magic: is one one of one of my one of my beasts is exactly what you described. Like magic at times is so incredibly powerful that it's like you have a thousand guys on the field, and the enemy just has a better you know like you know two or three casting heroes, and they just start like wailing on you with spells, and all your guys are basically just getting killed just trying to cross the battlefield. It's just kind of frustrating to see, like, a thousand guys blown away by a range attack, and all their experience is gone. Uh, that's that's one frustration, but, but my bigger problem with the magic system is, uh, so the way, in, in tactical battles, the way it works is uh, every spell, every offensive spell has a penetration value. You almost think of it like, you know, armor penetration on a tank in a war game or something. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And every army on both sides, both sides of the battle has a magic shield 
that protects it up to a certain level against a certain spell penetration. And as these, as the casters on each side sort of cast spells against each other, the magic shield erodes, and there are things you can do to buff it, and there's things you can do to tear down the enemies. And that's all well and good. But what it leads to in the battles, for me at least, is this feeling like it's not so much a battle of mages. It's just this battle of attrition where like, eventually somebody's shield comes down, and then whoever shield falls first is just going to get wailed on with spells. And then the other guy's just kind of got a win button where it's like, okay, now I'm going to destroy that formation. Now I'm going to wait for the magic cooldown to cycle and kill those guys. And I don't know, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel quite like, it doesn't feel like a cool, like, mage battle, which, I mean, which is kind of what I want. It feels like I'm just sitting there, like, mashing the, you know, buff the, buff the magic shield button, and then spamming spells on the other guy. Which, you know, maybe that, maybe there's no other way to do it, but I kind of look at it like, there's no decisions to be made there. You know, that could be put on autopilot until the, one of the shields cracks, and then there's choices. But before that, it's just kind of, um... You know in Attack of the Clones where Yoda has that terrible, terrible pissing match with, uh... Um... <laughs> the... Dooku? Dooku? Dooku. God, I couldn't remember. I, I blocked out that terrible <laughs> name, Dooku. Yes, only George Lucas. He has that terrible pissing match with, <laughs> with Dooku where they're, where they're pushing this giant phallic column around. Like, who, right, like who right. has the bigger force? Um, and... That's what it, that's what that's kind of how the battles feel. It's just, it's just it's Yoda and Dooku again, uh, just sort of like wailing on each other with uh, with spells. But if you engage that other hero unit, if you engage them in melee, they can't cast spells. There's a way to to kind of engage that spellcaster and keep them from bringing the hurt on your army. And then there's a whole uh, artifact crafting system, which I haven't gotten into, but I have no doubt there's a way to build up your own uh, magical shield. Get into it, get into it, because this is one of my favorite things. I, I haven't gotten into it yet. That That's the problem. There was, a, there was a bit of a bug with my review code, so I haven't spent a lot of time outside of the prologue, to be honest. So have, have you spent a lot of time with the crafting? Uh, I have. Andrew, have you gotten into it? Uh, not not too in depth. Okay, so uh, this this is actually worth backing up for. Uh, what Please versions do. are you playing with? Are what you playing versions? with Gamers Gate? The uh, the press. I, I just downloaded the Gamers Gate because my Steam was all foobard. Okay. My Steam was uh, just playable enough to deal with, so I stuck with Steam. Okay, cool. I've been playing on Steam too, and I think I think Steam is getting patches more regularly. Uh, mm-hmm. No surprise there. Mm-hmm. But okay, so Andrew, you didn't get much of a chance to play with the crafting. Uh, you know what? No, I didn't really. Oh, all right. So this is <laughs> no, no. I'm saying like this is this is actually one of the treats, and I mean it will drive you insane because the crafting I have mixed feelings about because on the one hand you run up against the real problems in the interface that I think dog King Arthur throughout. Like uh, this is not a, this is not a good interface. Uh, in the battles, it takes up what over a quarter of the screen. Oh, it's it's brutal. It's, it's, like, it's like playing the game through a keyhole. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I'm trying to take screenshots for review, or hell, just enjoy the view. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's bad enough the camera doesn't control real well, and then you have the frame rate problems. But then, when you do pause it to, like, take a sweet picture, it's just the interface is just all up, all up in the action. Uh, well, you, just... you can almost see how that devolved, though. It's like, okay, we only have about a half a dozen different unit types. Okay, skin them all differently. Make yeah. some Vikings, make some Lionhearts, make some of these, some of that, some Legionaries. Make them all different. But 
ultimately they're the same unit types. Okay, well, how do I tell them apart? Well, I need a big unit placard there on the UI. Yeah. Okay. And then we, we got to flavor it appropriately. So let's have some dragons and shit, just like oh, sort yeah. of like spooling off it. Yeah. At least but... 15% dragon <laughs> armature yeah. along the no. UI. Th that's not a joke, by the way. Like in every battle, you've got like a giant dragon scroll work thing, like just sort of hanging out, right. uh, sticking out of your interface. So that's not so good. But okay, so the crafting. Uh, and, and this is kind of cool. Like, yeah, so you're going through, and like any sort of good loot whoring RPG, you're accruing stuff through the battles that you can attach to your heroes, and uh, there's just the three hero types, right? Sage, Champion, Warlord? Mm -hmm. right. And so the Champion is just like, what, like pretty much pure melee, like just charge in, kick some ass. The Warlord is the General, and the Sage is the Mage. So, but the thing is, so so you can also go to these arcane forges that are around the map, and you take these items, and then you stick that, you, you sort of pile them together in your magical transmogrifier, <laughs> and you get a new magical item out of it. And the thing is, like, you can only get the really insane magical stuff if you're, like, taking your really good magical stuff and mashing it together and sort of seeing what the, what the forge spits out. And, uh... Boy, I'll tell you, that is like, on the one hand, it's really addictive, because you can get insane stuff, like almost game-breaking stuff through the Forge, which I think is kind of cool, to be honest. Um, I, I like So my, my main mage, who's traveling around with William Pendragon, mm -hmm. um, he is just, he's got like, between his various bits of kit, he's just got this absurd boost to spell power. So, like, I mean, he casts a spell, and he's just, like, demolishing the enemy's shield. Like, I mean, he has one spell, it's down, and then from that on, it's just, he'll do whatever the hell he wants. It's, it's pretty fantastic. <laughs> but, but, so that's really cool. The problem is, you have to, <laughs> you can only display four items at once to choose from to, to put in your forge, and the forge takes three. So this is a thing where your inventory might have, like, 30, you know, 30 different little pieces of magical crap, whatever. Oh, easily. I'm getting, like, three or four every battle. Yeah. Right. So I spent, like, an hour this afternoon. Like, I put all my, all my equipment in uh, William's inventory so I could just more easily sort through it for the forge. And then I had to scroll through it on this bar that can only display four at a time <laughs> and slowly start to piece together. And the thing is like, you just start, it just all starts to blur together. Like I'm accidentally like transmogrifying, like really incredibly rare and important stuff. I'm just like, Oh, where the hell did that magical armor go? Oh it all looks God, it became someone's wand. Uh, so th I mean, th th like this is a routine problem. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, so at some point somebody has got to be like, Hey, we need a classic, you know, grid interface. That'd be, that'd be useful here. Nope. Not in King Arthur too. It's actually interesting to me that you said that you were able to to create some some pretty much game breaking items in, in in the forge there because I feel like there were a number of different times where this game can can basically be broken, um, and I, and I it, it's kind of rubbed me along the wrong way a few different times like in in battle uh, I noticed that that cavalry is is way overpowered simply because of their speed and the victory locations. If you can get them to fucking run. Yeah, no, that that actually drove me nuts. <laughs> that drove me absolutely up the wall. Um, but they're so fast that they render so many other units almost completely, um, completely useless because you can go around the, the map and get these victory locations that will give you these really powerful spells. 
And so your cavalry essentially become like these mages that as long as you can get them out there onto the victory locations, they can give you these awesome spells that completely tip the balance of the, of the battlefield. And I feel like in this game, there were so many opportunities where if you put in even a moment's thought into the game, you were going to completely break it. Because if you had any strategy at all to the battle, it was going to come out like you were going to win 8-1 to one on, on normal difficulty. That been, that been your experience? Uh, I could I could definitely see that happening. It, it's it, the way I'm playing it. I'm playing it more as, as a game of timing. I'm trying to bring my units to bear. I'm trying to screen maneuvers. I'm trying to have people in the right defensive posture and then flank around to the outside. And I can see we're in that meta game. You're able to to really find the artifacts and find the elite units that do amazing things in the battlefield, but I'm a much more, uh, I'm a much slower, more methodical player. I'm still in that grindy bit. You are, in the you're, early you are giving this game more credit than it deserves. It's entirely possible. <laughs> oh my god! Like I mean, I like. Th- there's a lot of things I enjoy here, but I mean, Andrew, what, what's your winning percentage been in the battles? Oh, I haven't lost yet. Nope, me either. No, me neither. Um, <laughs> yeah. See, and that's what I mean. That's a problem. And I mean, most of the battles, like I've said, I've won like three to one to eight to one, like massacres. Yeah, they're just they're absolute slaughters, and, and where I'm losing the most guys is just because your dudes are really dumb. Um, <laughs> like they'll just stand there getting shelled by arrows, and you're like, "Go kill those archers," and you'll double click, and for whatever reason, they just won't. They won't run. I, maybe, I, I have yet to figure out like, does double click actually tell guys to run? Because sometimes it seems to, and sometimes it doesn't. It it does, but it's not. It doesn't reliably register that. Like, the sheer number of times I've been like, go kill that guy. Or if you right-click and drag, it'll also tell him to run, which is a very strange mechanic. Yeah, Click so, drag. Uh, yeah, I'm just routinely kind of, like, begging my troops to do what I want them to. And, you know, like, Total War isn't perfect in this regard, but Total War does at least, like, you know, you look at the battle, and stuff's happening very quickly, and just a few clicks, and everyone's kind of on the same page and doing roughly what you told them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, that doesn't happen in this game. But but going back to the idea of the game breaking at times, you know, it, it does happen, and in some ways, like I guess I kind of like breaking it, and I hate having it broken against me. Uh, and I guess on, <laughs> on, on balance, on, on balance, I guess I like it more than I dislike it because, um, you know, one of the things occasionally that that has come up is that um, there's a, there's a good column on this in, in PC Gamer a few months ago, uh, basically saying that balance is overrated, that. And the, and the example I used in this column, PC Gamer, was um, in Battle for Middle Earth, Earth 2. Uh, the Riders of Rohan had this insane, like, game-breaking charge where they just ride into whatever, whatever their target is. If the Rohan cavalry uh, charges in, they're going to lay waste to whatever is in their path. And one of the junior designers, this is the guy writing the column, he's a senior designer now for someone else, but he, he went to one of his lead and he's like, hey... This is really broken, and this ch- this charge is overpowered. And the lead is like, "Well, yeah, but it's it's the charge of the Rohirrim, you know. Like gamers want to see the Rohan cavalry like just <laughs> right. like destroy some fools, and you've got to give that to them. And I kind of feel the same way. Like Arthur lends itself to that even more. Like, you know, if I've got this really souped up mage out there to kick some serious ass, I want him to go kick some serious ass and vaporize, you know." you know, 500 guys in the course of a battle. 
and that'll make me really happy. The same way, like one of my champions can take on like him and his him and his retain his twenty retainers can take on like three hundred guys by themselves, and this guy is dealing. Um, so to give you an example of the scale, right? Like what is it? A sp- your average spearman's going to do one hundred sixty damage, mm-hmm. but your right. champion, if he's got some good gear, can be doing like five thousand per swing. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I mean, I kind of, I kind of dig that at time at times the game gets absolutely, absolutely broken. I wish the AI was better, but I'm okay with it being kind of unbalanced. Except then I did have this moment where I nearly rage quit it. Where um, have you encountered flying units at all yet? Once I encountered yeah, flying units yeah, again in the prologue. So I got hit. I, I had this battle where I was playing. Um, yeah, I had my standard army, some spears, some sword swordsmen, a good good number of archers. But the enemy army was like half half flying units. Half? Yeah. Was, how, do you, how do you even manage that? My goodness. <laughs> well, because apparently flying units are basically a win. Uh, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, I I won the battle on my second try by by cheesing it up pretty hard. But what happened is they just sent all my, all their flying units just sort of mobbed toward my archers, and they're smart enough to only target my archers because mm. the archers are the ones who can bring them down. Uh, and I'm not even sure your melee units can do meaningful damage to these guys. No, no, they can't. Uh, like I'm, I can't figure out if it's zero or just close to zero. Spearmen, I believe, can do small, tiny amounts of damage, but nothing really significant. Right. So this is a battle where my 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 elite archers. These guys have been with me since the prologue, and this is chapter three. Like, I mean, these are high levels, high level archers. And here, here come these these flying guys, and they just attack all my all my archers and kill them all, dead. Um, and then I still had you know three quarters of my army left, who couldn't do anything. I just watched in horror as these little flying bastards like are sort of plucking guys off the ground, like dropping them and slashing them apart. And there was nothing I could do. And on the one hand, that really pissed me off. Uh, I guess it it still mostly does because that just seems almost dangerously imbalanced. But at the same time, shouldn't, like, demonic, terrible winged creatures be kind of game-breaking? And I, I kind of get hung up on that. Like, on the one hand, this is King Arthur. On the other hand, this is also kind of a, stra- a strategy war game, and there needs to be some nods to balance, and I can't quite figure out where I come down on that. The way that I've been playing it is I've been playing for the perfect battle. I, the, the first battle in the prologue, you're going to laugh, I played it eight times. And I wanted to have as few men die as possible because I wanted to take them all forward and spend the least amount of money to upload them to uh, to go into the Senate and bring about the most effective change for my noble family and all that, blah, blah, blah. I'm totally maxing it. But at the same regard, seeing one of those elite armies completely swept from the map by this marauding, demonic enemy... That's kind of cool. <laughs> See, and I, I think that actually plays to this this game's biggest strength is that they they really did, um, as opposed to King Arthur One, they really pushed aside the strategy elements of it and didn't try so hard to make this a hardcore strategy title and really played into the RPG side of it and then the, and the mm-hmm. fantasy side of everything. And they're just putting a thumb in the eye of us perfectionist gamers <laughs> every once in a while. See, I was like, I was like you though. I actually really um, like. I wanted these battles to go really well, and I wanted them to be really well orchestrated. But the problem that I found with that is that I just ended up mashing armies together until I won most of the time, and that really frustrated me personally. Most battles seem to go that way, to be honest. Yeah. 
they can go that way. I don't know that they have to. Well, I mean, uh, hang on. They don't have to if you're willing to play eight times in a row. <laughs> uh, but, my, but my question is, like, if, if you just have a straight-up battle, like, your first time through, I, like, for me, I'm I'm losing, like, 400 guys battle, and the enemy loses, like, 1,600. So it's, like, four to one routinely. Mm-hmm. But by and large, these are kind of mutual slaughters and uh, made worse by the fact that you can't break the enemy. Everyone fights, fights to the death. Have you not tried to retreat your forces? Because they because uh, they run backward just fine. I have I well no I've I've done retreats and then my half my army is just like dead in oh. some sort of auto resolve so you can't do that. Uh, but I've never had to retreat in a battle. So so what mm. goes on in a battle if you retreat? You you pretty much just run backwards. I've not noticed a lot of penalty for well those. Spearmen are not doing so well. Why don't we move some legionnaires up instead and run them behind them? I have just... trouble. I have trouble just getting my guys disengaged. <laughs> Andrew, what do I Same you here. Have? Same here. No, absolutely. I yeah. Really they want to stick, right? With that. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. At times, that's a problem. Especially if they're overpowered. If it's archers versus you know um, heavy infantry or something like that, then it's they're they're toast. Yeah. But but that's I guess one of, that brings me to one of my other my other problems with this game is. So nobody ever retreats in this game. Like every battle is to the death. Like I don't even know why they give you casualty figures at the end because if you win, you've killed every single guy who came onto the map. That's it. And the only times I've taken losses is basically by retreating when I know I couldn't win the battle. But anyway, so what it means is like every battle, even the ones you win pretty handily, are still fairly bloody, and the enemy only seems to have like full stacks of troops. So even if you've won really cleanly. You're still probably better off retreating to friendly territory, refreshing all your units, and then going out to fight the next group of guys, which just leads. It just starts to feel really grindy uh, after a certain point. Like, so I was just I was just uh, dealing with a with a chain of quests uh, dealing with the Emperor Septimus Sulla. Uh, now, Andrew, you said you'd been up by the wall, so I assume you've dealt with uh, Septimus. Oh, that was Charlie, actually. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. I, yeah. I think I was Septimus. Pardon yeah, in the prologue, in the you prologue. play a Septimus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so I just play the sequence of missions where I'm where I'm fighting the Emperor Septimus, and uh, he's just got a ton. He's just got a ton of armies, and it was challenging only because if I went out and I would defeat one of his armies and then go do a quest, uh, then one of his other armies would mob me and destroy the entire army, and my heroes would retreat and I have to rebuild from scratch, basically with like novice units. Uh, so what I had to keep doing is I had to basically like keep dancing in, destroy one of his armies, retreat, ref- refill my unit roster, and then attack again. And that's that's where it started to really that's where it really started to piss me off. Is just because like this is where the similarities to Total War it's like similar enough just to anger you because the you have to march your units around the map and everything. But clearly the game kind of just wants you to grind your way through this and fight a bunch of battles with Septimus's army. Uh, and there's no way around it. And all they've done is create this cumbersome system where you've got to just, like, you know, burn five minutes at a crack, retreating, cycling turns, refilling your army, and then going out again. And it's just like, there, there's so many times like that where there's, there's not really a lot of interesting, cool stuff to do on the strategic level, uh, except for, like, forging artifacts, which is, you know, kind of nifty. But, like, in terms of, like, there's no real governance, money just sort of shows up, 
you can assign fiefdoms to your characters, but again, it's just kind of a pain in the ass to like see what is the most effective way to assign your provinces. So this is all this stuff that like isn't really fun to use and isn't really terribly useful. And I just kind of wish the game would sort of cut the chase and let me go do like clearly you have a number of battles that you have in mind where I should have to go fight these things. So just let me go do it. See, it's interesting to hear you talk about like that though because the strategic side was almost just this, you know, non-existent part of the game for me. I was really so much focused on the RPG side of it and the kingdom management fed into the RPG side of it for me. There's really almost no other purpose for the the kingdom management of an, of any of your cities or anything like that other than they level up uh, specific types of soldiers. So conquering areas and stuff like that for me was all just about feeding into wanting to customize my army and wanting to customize my people or my heroes and everything like that. Um, so it's, it's really almost bizarre to me to, to, to hear you focusing so much on the... Um, <laughs> Uh, not not that it's wrong or anything like that. Obviously, it's a huge part of the game. Um, but yeah, for me, it, it was so much more uh, in the RPG side of things and wanting to to dig into that and understand the story and everything. What's been really interesting about the RPG elements is the outcomes that it allows you. It allows you to avoid battle. It allows you to initiate battle. It allows you to add units, add money, subtract money, subtract loyalties and add them. Like, What are some of the crazy things that you've done in the rpg so far andrew right i mean um that's actually one of the points that i wanted to get to is that there every once in a while there's a nice intersection of the strategy part of it, or the army management the strategy side and the rpg side of it there was this one quest that i went on where i believe it was a um you know i captured uh this militia that had a thief in it that had just stolen a relic uh from a christian monastery yeah i remember that one and when um, the thief reveals himself to you and he says something to the effect of, you know, if you let me go, I'll give you a bunch of money and there's a couple other outcomes or you can turn him in and you know, the Lord of the land will love you, but the thief's guild will hate you. Um, and I actually ended up letting him go specifically because I needed the money so badly. And there's, for me, that there was that, that interesting overlap of the strategy side of me needing to um, bring my army, my my strategy with my army into the RPG side of it and understand both sides at the same time. There, there's a couple things I want to, I want to touch on there. You needed the money really badly. What difficulty level are you playing on? Normal. Me too. I just, I have been up to my eyeballs in cash since like day one. Really? There were, there were a couple turns early on where it's like, I can't, and that is to be fair. That is an early quest uh, that I actually got too late. But for me, I, I've never had like less than eighty thousand dollars or eight thousand. Oh, wow. uh, are you are you improving any of the settlements? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm improving them, um, <laughs> but I'm just I'm, I'm up to my eyeballs in cash. Yeah, I want to say actually, um, pretty close to that that quest, I'd actually gotten into a fight with this um, pretty powerful noble who had kind of wiped out half my army. So I spent a ton of my reserves rebuilding everything. He'd wiped out about half. I, you know, I only won three to one that battle or something like that, and uh, and I needed the money, so I wasted all my reserves trying to get everything up, and then I ended up broke and pretty much unable to do anything for a little while. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I just haven't run into money problems. So I mean, I guess that that for me is one of the reasons why the RPG thing doesn't necessarily work as well as it could, because a lot of the quests really do rely on this idea that you can spend money and get the ideal solution. Uh, but if you don't have that money, you can basically have your choice of losing something or pissing somebody off uh, and spending less money and getting something good out of it. And um, 
you know, for me, it's always been like, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just throw money at the problem and it's all good. Uh, so a lot of these quests, they have these interesting dilemmas in them that I have this clear win button, right? Just be like, well, I'm just going to give you 5,000 gold and then everyone will be happy. <laughs> um, so that's, that's left it a little bit, a little bit wanting. What, what I've really kind of dug are some of the puzzles, the, uh, the, the text puzzles uh, that crop right, up. Right, right. Uh, so one of them is you, you have to have like read this legend of Sir Bran in your uh, chronicle. Mm-hmm. And you've got to navigate this maze using this, this legend that there's nothing in the game that says you should have read this in your chronicle. So if you haven't done it, you're probably kind of screwed. Uh, but I was, you know, so I basically, you know, saw my way through this uh, quest because I knew it was reference or, uh, it was referring to this uh, th- this bit of lore from the chronicle, which was cool. Uh, but then I also had this this really cool like battle um, with Morgana Le Fay uh, later on in the game, where she has to beat one of the fairy people in a um, fading tower. Uh, which is like this 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 weird magical construct uh, that the Fey people use. Anyway, so it keeps changing settings and everyone keeps like shifting shapes, and so your opponent in this battle keeps like changing shapes in these different settings, and you have to find like what's the best like how do you beat a how do you beat a uh, dragonling in a shady glen, uh, you know how do you mm-hmm. do that? Do you turn into a salmon? Do you turn into a bear? What do you do? Uh, and so it's just it, like just cool stuff that again like is not going like this is not going to happen in your average strategy game at all. And I, I enjoy that I enjoy the adventuresome twist. Uh, I, w- I wish I wish there was more of that and less of the uh, throw money at the problem. It'll be fine because again I'm just I I'm, <laughs> I, I am the one percent of uh, Camelot. <laughs> <laughs> but that's balance again, you know. I mean the the money system for I mean apparently some players is is imbalanced and it led to you being you know having untold riches. I might also be really patient. <laughs> see, I'm I'm impatient. That's part of the reason why I ended up broke is because I kept paying everybody off. Yeah, and see, I just keep retreating to uh, my home territory and letting like entire years pass before going out and finding somebody <laughs> else. Arthur, I think at this point has been like lying on his slab. For like fifty years, uh, and England is in no hurry. Like it's gonna be fine, big guy. I got this. Just how come you never call, William? Yeah. <laughs> Where you been? How's your wife? How's Morgan? So, so let me ask you guys a question. Actually, yeah. How is how has it been as far as bugginess and and stability of the code? I have actually had no real problems as far as stability. I had some major framework problems when the game was new. Right. Uh, in the latest patch, that stuff was mitigated uh, pretty thoroughly. Like, I'm pulling now 30 frames a second, which isn't you know great, but mm-hmm. it's it's totally playable. Uh, and that's up from like 12 frames a second. Right. A little fuzzy during the flyby in mm-hmm. the intro to each individual battle. It's hard to grab screens at that point, but otherwise, I don't notice it too much. It certainly isn't hard locked on me. See, actually, when I when I started playing, I had a lot of just straight up crashes, and mm. a lot of uh, you know textures wouldn't load, a lot of loading screens that would take ten minutes, like literally ten minutes, 
And I was actually really worried that this was another bad launch for Paradox. So I'm actually, I'm really happy to hear you guys haven't had that many problems. Well, I would say actually the first week though, I would say it was a bad launch from Paradox. I mean, like not like, I mean, if you're going to compare it to Sword of the Stars, then no. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> that's uh, what I am comparing it to, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and that and that's and that's and that's setting the bar far too low. I think, like, right. <laughs> I mean, short of the software, like coming out of your computer and murdering your entire family, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think you're going to have <laughs> something worse than sort of the stars. Uh, so, but I kind of looked at it like, you know, this is a game that okay, it was you know, it was attractive, it was it was a pretty looking game, but it was running like quicksand, like it was yeah. just really terribly ungodly slow. Um, you know, to the point where I was still sort of enjoying the game, but I was having no fun actually playing it. You know, because it was doing it was doing that thing where you like you you click and drag to deploy your troops. Yeah, and you just click, and then you wait like four seconds for the <laughs> computer to notice. Like, yeah, you click. Yeah, and then you wait for the icon to appear, and then you release. Like, it's just it's so cumbersome. Uh, so, I don't know. Not not a good launch. And I'm always I'm always I'm always sort of frustrated that um, you know. So Paradox didn't release this to reviewers. Didn't put it in press accounts at least until uh, the day of launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just seems like you know at this point, if you're a Paradox customer, you probably should know at this point not to even consider buying the first right. week or two. Uh, but but at the same time, it's just it's you know in 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 the wake of Sword of the Stars. You know, all, you, like, you've used up your good graces, and it just seems, like, kind of shoddy. Like, you already, you you already sort of unleash that on customers, uh, on unsuspecting customers once, and it just seems like at this point it kind of behooves you to make sure that people have a chance at least uh, to get fair warning about what they're buying. Right, right. And I, I think it's a, it's a shame, really, that, that Paradox has had such troubles with its, with its reputation because it was riding so high for a while. I mean, probably right after Magicka. When people were, when reviewers were really loving Magicka, their reputation was really going, going really well. well. And then after sort of the stars and a few other, you know, not great launches, they've kind of lost a lot of that goodwill. Well, I think Magicka is kind of an interesting case though, because you know you had Ben Kuchera over at ours saying that Magicka was completely broken at launch, and a lot of other people had experience. Right. I kind of worry that Magicka is the game that taught Paradox that they didn't have to care. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, everyone was like, "This game is cool," and it is a cool game. Like, it was a new idea. It was adorable. Yeah, um, and it, it was just—it it was just insane. It's an insane game, uh, and well worth playing. And everyone was like, sort of buying into that. But that doesn't change the fact it was also a multiplayer-focused game that, on launch week, was basically unplayable for huge numbers of people. But that didn't stop anyone from recommending it or buying it. And I, I kind of worry that like Paradox took the wrong message from that. And. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're kind of living with the consequences of that. I suspect Sword of the Stars may have woken them up, but at the same time, it's just... Well, at, this, I, at this point, they might still be right that they don't have to care. I mean, when it gets down to... If you can sell a game to the mass audience, it, it your your fan base doesn't matter all that much. And if you can get... Ma- like Magicka did, they got it out into the, the hands of the average gamer who didn't know much about, you know, hardcore PC game or Paradox's reputation. And I think most of them probably assumed, oh, well, there's a bug... Uh, it'll get fixed next week, and then I just forgot the game existed altogether. Well, you know, Charlie, I know, I know you and I hang out a fair bit in wargaming forums and such, <laughs> and I've noticed this really insane, like, Stockholm Syndrome thing, 
where people are like, <laughs> oh man, you released this, you know, you're a strategy developer, but you released this buggy piece of shit, but I'm still buying it and supporting it because you guys are great and I know you guys are going to fix it and you're wonderful and yay, good on you. Thanks for making this game that doesn't work, but I think will at some point. I don't know. It's just, it, it always kind of weirds me out. Like, like publishers like Paradox can, like have this great relationship with customers because they're making games that nobody else will. Right. But at the same time, it also means like it it allows for this sort of abusive relationship. In my experience, <laughs> I mean, like but, Charlie, have you seen that? You know, I, <laughs> there's there are there's a there's an audience that companies like Paradox serve, and they're a forgiving bunch, honestly, and they are a bunch that wants to grow their own community. So who am I to, to say they have a Stockholm Syndrome, right? I'm probably part of them. I want more people to come and play these kinds of games with me. I don't think that King Arthur 2 suffers from any bugs at launch. I think it's I think it's perfectly playable. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think after a week it's perfectly playable. Like I mean, yeah. you, I think we can take those alarms down. I think a week ago it it had significant reservations. Now it's it's much better. Um, but you know, I I get where you're coming from. Um, you know, I don't know. I just it, it, something about that rubs rubs me the wrong way. Where I where I think a lot of Paradox's day one purchasers probably do know exactly what they're getting into, and they're fine yeah. with that. Uh, and experience things generally are made right. Uh, at the same time, though, the idea of a paid early beta, uh, you know, still rankles a little right. bit. Right. Um, but well, anyway, like so go well, on, go on. I was just gonna say that, like you said, if if you're a gamer who wants those kind of like hardcore Eastern European strategy games, you don't have another choice. You have to support Paradox and hope that someday they come mm-hmm. around to appreciating you. That's what I'm saying. And that there's enough people, enough critical mass there to create the community to to mm-hmm. make them care. So, we come to the most important question. Is King Arthur 2 actually good? I honestly have no idea. It's, it's a, that's a really <laughs> tough question. It's, the thing is, is that it's going to be a ton of fun for some people and mm-hmm. a complete disappointment for so many other people. For if you come at it from, from a strategy perspective, like I think you did, Rob, I think that a lot of people who do that are going to be really disappointed. But if you come at it from, from maybe you're a little bit into strategy games, but you're not... You know, you're more of a gamer at at large. You like all kinds of games. I think you're going to find something to like about it with the choose your own adventure quests and you know customizing your army is a lot of fun, like we've talked about. There's a guy on my Steam friends list, and I won't name him, but he's put 70 hours into the King Arthur 2. No, he's just left it running. No, <laughs> he's played it. He he's a big advocate of it, and there's something in there for him, and there's something in there for me. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a good game yet, though. I don't know if it's a game that I'm going to be able to finish. Uh, see, yeah, and I'm sitting here, like, I've hit this conclusion, like, you know, so, tip my hand here, so I'm, so I'm writing a review, and the, the way, I, the, the metaphor, I don't think it's going to make it in the review, because it's a cumbersome metaphor, <laughs> but, I, but I kind of view, what's that method of execution where they tie you between the horses and just, like, let the horses go and Drawn and, and quartered. Yeah, drawn and quartered. Uh, I thought that's what it was, but Wikipedia described many other horrifying ways of drawing and quartering people, so I wasn't yeah, sure. Everybody has their own, you know, <laughs> uh, flavor. Yeah, exactly. Drawing and quartering. The way I look at this game is, like, I look at it, and it's like, it's an, it's an average game. It's, it, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's not really that good, 
but it's also really not a bad game. And my experience with it has been, like, there are times when the game is pulling so hard toward being, like, a really cool, like, cult classic, and that RPG stuff is really working for me, and I'm totally digging it. And then the game just starts dragging me back to all the reasons it just pisses me off. You know, it's an incompetent Total War clone <laughs> on the battlefield. Uh, parts of the game design are just sort of, like, half-baked, and, like, again, the strategic map, like... You know, it sort of makes sense, but it doesn't quite, like, justify its its existence all the way, and a lot of the stuff is just terribly unbalanced. And so the game just sort of keeps oscillating between the two to the point where it settles into being an average game. But it's not really, you know, it's not, it's not an average game in the way where it's just sort of like a blah game. It's this thing that occasionally I'm like, man, I'm really digging at, I'm really digging on King Arthur. And this other time where I'm like, I'm going to find the son of a bitch who made this, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> uh, and, and so that's, that's kind of my experience with it. But I, but I think where, where, I come, where I come away from it is... I think somebody's going to make a great game like this. Like, I think we've seen... The, the problem with the Total War for, format, and Creative Assembly have acknowledged this, is, you know, there's only so, there's only so many settings that are suitable for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where they're looking for a balance of great powers and uh, roughly equal technology. There, there's not that many settings. They've, they've probably hit just about all of them at this point. Right. And so, I mean, you're left with expanding into either, you know, more fantastical realms, which is cool, uh, or also maybe getting rid of the grand campaign as it's as it's always existed and getting something maybe a little more linear. And I think King Arthur in some ways points the way toward a really interesting direction. I just don't think King Arthur's the game uh, to, to bring that, to, that idea to fruition. Now, now, Andrew, I saw on Twitter... No, it wasn't Twitter. Uh, and when we were talking about this via email, you were saying you 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 hope this becomes a good series. What what would you want to see in a later King Arthur game? Honestly, I I would rather see Creative Assembly do it rather than NeoCore Games. I I I have very I have very serious doubts that they have the budget and the manpower to pull off a dual concept game. And I think that's really what this comes down to, is that they didn't have the resources to to really create a full strategic suite of of gameplay options and it comes down to i think that you're going to enjoy it if you like rpgs but you're probably not going to enjoy it if you like strategy games and I th- that's really what i think the deal is is I, I i will wait with bated breath for king arthur 3 and hope that they can turn it around but after seeing the problems with king arthur 1 and king arthur 2 and seeing how they're almost identical is is disheartening and i and i don't know if they're going to be able to pull it off wow <laughs> was that a wow? I mean, <laughs> no, that was, no, that was it that was a wow. That was devastating, but that was spot on. I think. I mean, I wouldn't disagree with a word of that. Uh, this is what the third game from Neocore. King uh, Richard Lionheart was one of theirs, right? Oh, was it? I didn't know that. Let me just double check that. But I'm pretty sure it was. And yeah, it's it suffered from similar problems, as I recall. Yeah, I mean, the the first King Arthur was. Um, it, it was it was again it was a great concept and, and it drew you in with this really really unique concept. But then every once in a while you'd be playing in the strategy game and your army would just get wiped out for no reason. And there was just there was some imbalance bug in there that just caused your army to just get wiped out. And you know, it kinda it kinda crippled the game in a lot of ways. Charlie, your verdict? I, I was reading IO9 a couple of weeks ago, and Charlie Jane Andrews, one of my very favorite movie and TV reviewers, she put out this plead, where is the pulp fiction these days where are the the good crazy stories coming from and a couple days later one of their writers or stringers or whoever wrote back charlie 
it's over here. It's in video games. And it's been here for 20 years. And, and why aren't you paying attention to it? And there's some stories being told here. And Andrew, I, I think you might be right. I think these might not be the tools or the, the breadth of game to do it with. But this is kind of an, an interesting take on King Arthur. It's, it's as interest as I, interested I have been in in the world since I, I pulled out Sir Arthur de Malorian's text when I was in grade school. I think by and large I, I agree with Andrew. My, my hope is that I'm actually kind of baffled that this game isn't better than it is because this is kind of the third try that Neocore's had at making a game in this vein. And you kind of figure, like, you know, they've had the technology base for a while. You know, third time's the charm. And Total War is an eminently stealable design. You know, I mean, like, you play it and you, you can kind of see, like, how it's working and, and what's so good about it. Um, and I'm just kind of amazed that this still isn't as good a clone as as you might expect. And I do think this is a case where being a, being more of a clone, at least on the tactical level, is a good thing. Uh, you know, I mean, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Uh, and and I was, I'm kind of amazed the degree to which this not only doesn't fix it, but in some ways kind of botches it. And that concerns me, because, you know, this is the thing where I, I would say, like, oh, well, I'm, I'm sure these guys will get it next time. I'm not so sure. And, yeah, I am kind of left hoping that Total War, you know, Creative Assembly goes ahead and um, moves in this direction, especially because I know they have the chops for it, because if you have played any of the scenarios they released for a Napoleon Total War... Um, and and some of the stuff they did for for Shogun, they have figured out how to do smaller scale stories and more linear campaigns. And I I would like to see some of these ideas ported over uh, into the hands of a developer like that. But but I'm with you, Andrew. I I, I just I'm I'm not sure Neocore are the guys to do it. I think they've got they've had some really great ideas, but I think right at this point they're serving for inspiration for better developers. See, my my. You know, my closing uh, recommendation for people, I guess, is is if you were really excited for the Game of Thrones, for Game of Thrones Genesis, the uh, Game of Thrones strategy game, and you got disappointed by that, then oh. I think you really need to check out King Arthur 2 because it's it's basically, you know, Total War plus Game of Thrones. Like that, that same, um, like, tone of the story is, is right there and the same mix of medieval and fantasy. And I think that's going to that's gonna draw in a lot of people. Charlie, you have a final thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways? I'm still having fun. I'm still thumbs up, but I don't know. Come back to me in a couple of weeks. Maybe I'll, I'll have hit a wall. I'm not there yet, though. Still loving it. I'm saying, you know, so what's it selling for right now? 40 bucks. 10 bucks for the prologue. Oh, no, no. Uh, I'm going to say then... You know, I mean, to me, this this is a total this is a total bargain bin steal. Like, you know, at some point, this is gonna be this is gonna be cheap, and you can pick it up for for cheap, and you are not gonna be disappointed. Like, it's gonna be really cool. It's gonna be a fun trip. Uh, right now, though, it's just I mean, this like Shogun Shogun Two is like fifteen dollars on Gamers Gate right now, and that game is superb. And this has a long way to go before it gets there. There's some cool ideas, but to me, this is this is more of a this is more of a bargain bin title. Uh, that that said, though, I mean, I've spent a lot of time with it, and it has not been wasted time. I, I've found a lot to like there, um, and a lot to wish were better. But you know, it's it, you know, it's the games we care about enough that we wish they were they were they were much better. 
that are at least interesting enough to inspire those sorts of feelings. It's not a game I just wish I was done with. Um, it's something that I just wish were a little better executed. So better luck next time, uh, whoever that comes from. Uh, but anyway, I can't wait to have you both back uh, next time because you've been outstanding guests. Uh, this has been a great discussion, and uh, I want to thank you for joining me tonight on short notice. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Rob. It was a really good time. Yeah, it was a blast. You want to tell the listeners where we can find your various writings? Charlie? I actually have a couple of pieces coming up at Armchair General. And uh, also, as always, at GamersWithJobs.com. Andrew? Uh, And I do a couple of uh, weekly uh, video game columns for GamesRadar.com, where I do uh, Ask GR Anything, where where we answer reader questions, any question they have about the gaming industry, we look out for um, experts in the industry who can kind of you know, solve those puzzles that people have been wondering for a long time. And I do a series called Science of Games, where we sort of dig into the fiction of games and um, try to see if there's any truth behind it in the actual science. All right. Uh, well, I hope uh, listeners will look you guys up and uh, read some of your excellent writings, and uh, I hope to have you back before too long. Uh, in the meantime, uh, say goodnight, everybody. Have a good night, everybody. (laughs) Have a good night, everybody.